Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the CAPPC Podcast Academy, where we discuss key mental health care strategies and issues for primary care. Uh, this is your host, Saraz Sangapta. This is a project of CAPPC, a regional provider for Project Teach through the New York State Office of Mental Health. Today's topic is what to expect at that first initial mental health appointment um, and helping you as primary care providers advise parents, adolescents, children as to what, what they can expect when they walk into the door for that first appointment. Um, remember to find out more about this and other important primary care mental health topics, visit our website at capppcny.org. And so with us today, we're, we're delighted to have Amy Lyons, uh, the liaison coordinator uh, from the Rochester region for the CAPPC program. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Amy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, just as always, please remember um, the things that we're discussing, uh, this does not con constitute you know, specific medical advice. Uh, it's really more education and guidance. Um, so Amy, help us out. Uh, what can you know, families, adolescents, children, what can they expect when they first get to a mental health appointment with a therapist? Well, I think that um, there is a difference depending on what kind of therapy the family is seeking. Um, but I think typically across the board, whether they're going to an outpatient mental health clinic in the community or a private practitioner, they can expect that the first session is going to be gathering a lot of details. Uh, sometimes that seems a little bit uh, frustrating to families and uh, parents, kids that have been waiting maybe weeks or even months to get into this initial mental health session. Uh, they really want to get going and start therapy, but there's a lot of information that has to be gathered um, in order to help the family uh, identify what the treatment issues are going to be, what the treatment plan is going to look like. So one of the things that we like to start out with is uh, obtaining consent. Um, that sure. is, um, you know, very important that we establish right away that we want to communicate with other people uh, that really are active in the patient's life. Um, sometimes if you have a family that uh, is divorced, you know, is the father going to be in sessions? Who's bringing this child in? Is, is the grandmother living in the house? Is she somebody who, you know, maybe babysits for this child? So identifying supports and collaterals and getting those consents signed. Um, I often have to tell teenagers, you know, I'm not going to call your teacher and talk about you because, you know, sure, right. that kind of leads into a really great discussion about confidentiality. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's important that the family knows I won't talk to anybody unless I have this signed consent. And um, I think that kind of establishes that this is a safe place. What you talk about here is confidential. But if you do give me permission to speak to your teacher or your primary care doctor, there might be some information that's helpful for me, you know, to know about uh, what were you like in first grade? You know, if this, right. if this primary care doctor has known this family since the child was born, they have a lot of good history that they can share um, and they might see siblings. So I think that um, the consents are a very important discussion. Um, you know, that you have with the teens. Again, there's also <laughs> the issue that comes up, um, you know, is this a 16-year-old or is this a 5-year-old? So, sure, you know, it's going to look really different, right? Exactly. Yeah. And and sometimes, too, um, 
I will have, you know, maybe children at the age of 12 and up sign their consent as well. I really want them to know, you know, that this is your treatment as well. And I want you to be part of it. And I want you to know I'm going to call your school counselor. And, you Mm -hmm. know, we're going to talk Mm -hmm. about how to help you, um, you know, not just in this office, but what we can do together at school and at home to make this really a comprehensive plan. Right. It, It sounds like really, you know, it's it's moving forward in this expectation that you know we need to get relatively close relatively quickly and to do that i have to get some of this really important information and kind of establish those ground rules right exactly yeah, yeah. and that's something that takes some time you know? it does take time and i think the other thing that I think that the primary care doctors um, and family might want to know is that um, if I do receive consents, it isn't always immediate that I'm able to get in touch with school. Um, sometimes that communication uh, with collaterals takes a little while. And so a lot might be done after the appointment uh, occurs. Sure. sure. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, what's your sense of how that reality of that first appointment how does that sort of mesh with your sense of what families or maybe even primaries expect uh, might happen in that first appointment? Well, I think that's a great question because expectations can be very different than what really happens in an initial mental health session. Um, Okay. You know, you think I'm going to get there 15 minutes early and then um, we'll have an hour to really get into some issues. But with, as I've said, with, you know, discussing confidentiality and uh, filling out not only consents for uh, communication with other providers and with school, um, at some facilities there might be consent for using email or electronic um, correspondences and um, some uh, mental health clinics actually videotape some sessions. And so there might be a lot of details that have to be discussed that might feel you know, very different than, you know, I want to talk about my child's anxiety. Why are we talking about all this other information? But it's very important to do that. So sometimes I think the expectation uh, for the family is that this is going to be a first therapy session. And sometimes the therapy is a very small part of that initial session. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but I wonder even in in the the analogs of sort of primary care, it's helpful to sort of have parents understand, you know, this is like, you know, when the doc is, you know, listening to your child's lungs and your heart, you know, that's part of that initial assessment to help understand what's going on. Right. Right. And that takes some time. During that time, you know, uh, parents can't also be telling them about lots of other things. Uh, right. The clinician has to focus on that piece and then move on to the next. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah. there is some multitasking going on, too. I think sometimes you, you hand a parent a consent, and as they're filling it out, they're also trying to report what's happening. So I think sometimes if the clinician can let the parent know um, about what the structure of the session is going to be like, that eases their, uh, their anxiety a little bit about getting to the, the heart of the matter. Right. That's a great point. So, you know, there is this, there's, you know, this kind of mythical hour, um, you know, for a, for a first session, how might that hour kind of be divvied up? How might that differ from a future kind of session? Well, I think the first session, um, again, there's a lot to be done. Um, there's diagnostic measures sometimes to be filled out. Um, so I think, if the clinician um, listens to what the parent's expectation is or what the child's expectation is, they can kind of let the family know, this is how 
we're going to structure the session. We're going to start with a lot of questions and I'm going to ask you about, you know, how did you feel in first grade? And, you know, I sometimes say I want to ask you questions about from when you were born right up to today. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that gives them a realization that this is going to be a big overview of, you know, maybe patterns of behavior. I think that um, letting the family know that there is a part of the session that the parent needs to be present for. Um, they're the legal guardian. They are the person that has to sign off on of you know, in this paperwork. But I also um, think if the family really wants to have uh, the clinician meet with the child individually, it's okay to ask for that. It's right. okay to say, you know, this is a teenager and I think she wants to discuss some things without me in the room. Um, then there's other times when parents are a little more stubborn and you can see the child wants to say something. So sometimes the right. clinician's role is to excuse the parent and say, you know, I'd like a little time uh, just with your child to get a little bit more information. So again, I think asking uh the family, the patient, what would you like for today? This is how I typically do it. Does that sound okay? And kind of getting some feedback from them. Okay. So it sounds like the parents should expect, you know, again, this kind of uh, combined time where they're, again, getting this, you know, baseline information, understanding, you know, what's uh, needed in terms of treatment. But they should expect perhaps that there will be some time where the child might be alone with the therapist uh, to discuss what's going on from their uh, perspective. Right. Right. Um, and it sounds like also there might be some differences developmentally, whether the child's a, it's a young child versus an older child, that kind right. of thing. Right? right. Now, so, you know, do you ever get to get to something kind of therapeutic even in that first session? I, I think that is a very important uh thing for the family to have a takeaway, for the child to have some kind of strategy going forward. Um, Sometimes between that first and second appointment, there might be two weeks uh, of time, and that's a long time to expect somebody to say, um, okay, now I have to wait two more weeks (laughs) before I can really... To learn something, right. Yes, yes. So um, a lot of times um, part of the paperwork that uh, the family or the the patient completes is kind of... um, a safety plan, but also uh, maybe just kind of a form that talks about, you know, what are the issues that trigger you? What upsets you? What are, what are mm-hmm. the reasons you're coming into therapy? Um, right. What do you do now when those things happen? Because again, I think um, we can encourage the patient. That's a really great idea. I, you know, that's, that's a really good way to handle that. But if it's something, you know, I need to put my head down when I get upset and, and that's happening in the classroom, maybe that's not the best place for you to put your head down because the teacher is not going to be happy with you putting your head down if you get upset. So kind of maybe guiding them towards um, a better strategy to manage what they're dealing with. Right. Um, so the checklist might have some other ideas um, as far as, you know, relaxation, breathing, um, counting to 10 doing some visualization. So sometimes um, if it's a younger child, I might give them a, um, a stress balloon or maybe bubbles to uh, to use. Blowing bubbles helps them regulate their breath sometimes. And maybe for older teens, the, the therapist might give them an app to use on their phone or right. uh, maybe a link to uh, a video or some music that's very calming. So I think establishing that we're going to have a little uh, time to discuss 
you know, what's happening for you, how you're dealing with it, and maybe some other strategies that you can work in. And I really think it's helpful because I think if we just say, here's a worksheet, I want you to do this homework, it might not work for them. So I think really right. kind of eliciting that information, what works for you now? Oh, I, I love to listen to music. So kind of going in that direction sometimes can be really meaningful and, okay. and help the patient get to that next appointment. So it sounds like it can be helpful for PCPs to remind parents. There will be likely some kind of sending them out with, you know, at least perhaps a prompt for reflection, uh, but maybe even some ways to target, you know, some basic or, or sort of um, lower hanging fruit in terms of some, some strategies they might utilize. Exactly. Before getting into even more of the sort of nitty gritty uh, towards the end. Right. How do you think? PCPs can advise parents to make sure they're kind of communicating what they need out of treatment? I think communication um, is so important between, you know, the family communicating what their need is to the therapist. Uh, The therapist really should be communicating with the primary care doctor, even if it's um, a phone call, a fax, an email, you know, something that says your patient came to see me you know, mm-hmm. do you have time? Would you like to discuss this? Um, I, I really think that that communication is so important because so many times the family maybe is missing something in the therapy and they don't right. want to say that to the therapist, but they go back and tell the, the primary care provider, oh, we tried therapy, but it didn't work. It wasn't good. We didn't click. Whatever it is, I think it's very important to communicate that because Maybe it's not a good fit and, the, right. the, you know, a different therapist should be, um, you know, working with the family. But many times there's things that the therapist could do to meet the family's needs. And if there's no communication, that usually ends up, you know, with a poor outcome. Right. So it sounds like really kind of uh, promoting that the family really be clear about, you know, what they think is going on, what their goals for treatment are. Right. And, um, you know, I I can't tell you how often, you know, a a little bit of extra communication from the family towards the clinician. I really think it could kind of change the dynamic of what's going on in in that mental health treatment process for the better. And sometimes at the second appointment, I'll start off by saying, I spoke to your doctor. And that, again, that gives the family the feeling like we're all working together. This is not a separate thing from, you know, from your medical appointments. We really do want to create a network that's going to support you at school, at home, you know, in all settings. Absolutely. And and just to highlight, you know, that idea, though, that, you know, there should be, you know, good, solid communication between the therapist and the PCP. I mean, that's such a critical thing as well. Right. Yeah. Um, And it sounds like, you know, the way you sort of uh, summarized at the end, you know, that's also kind of helping them understand that, look, this is going to be an ongoing process and we're going to have a lot of, you know, important work to do. Uh, Maybe some challenges related to that, but we'll be working together. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Well, this has been really lovely. Um, You know, uh, thank you, Amy, so much for helping us kind of think about what that first appointment can be like for families and helping us think about how PCPs can, you know, kind of frame that for those families. You're very welcome. And I, I hope that this information does help uh, clarify a little bit about that mysterious first appointment right. and, and really make some more, um, you know, successes in, in, you know, ongoing mental health treatment for these kids. 
Absolutely. And I, th- I think absolutely we've done that. So, so uh, thank you all to everyone who's listening. Uh, you've been listening to the CAPBC Podcast Academy. I'm your host, Saraz Singapta. If you're interested, uh, check out our website. Uh, remember, capbcny.org uh, to learn more about uh, the program. Um, join us again next time. Thanks. <laughs>